for Pacifica Radio, November 2nd, 2023. I'm Scott Horton. This is Anti-War Radio. All right, y'all, welcome to the show. It is Anti-War Radio. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm the editorial director of Antiwar.com, and I'm the author of the book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. You can find my full interview archive, almost 6,000 of them now, going back to 2003, at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. And you can follow me on Twitter, if you dare, at scotthortonshow. All right, introducing... Connor Freeman. He's my right-hand man and assistant news editor at the Institute and also assistant news editor at Antiwar.com as well. And he's co-author with me of a new piece that, well, we put out around this time last week, I guess. Netanyahu's support for Hamas backfired. And you can find that at the Institute and at Antiwar.com in the right-hand margin under my name there. Welcome back to the show, Connor. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Happy to have you here. So we have a lot to talk about. Let's start with the news. Can you give us rough numbers and statistics and um, parameters of the conflict in the Gaza Strip as it stands right now? Currently, uh, it looks like the latest numbers that I've seen are 8,850 I've actually seen that it's getting closer to 9,000 even just today killed in Gaza civilians. You're talking about thousands, over three, well over 3,600 children and thousands of women uh, and 22,219 wounded uh, at least. And then in the West Bank, they've already, the, the settlers and Israeli troops have killed almost 130 people. It's at 128 now, and you've got nearly 2,000 wounded. And really, the, the that's unfortunately the West Bank, I think, gets the least attention because all the bombing and uh, complete you know, chopping women and children to bits with American paid for uh, explosives and bombs. That's all going on in Gaza. But in the West Bank, because people aren't paying attention, the settlers are just absolutely running wild, killing Palestinians every day. And so are the Israeli occupation forces. And that uh, needs to get more attention. But Currently, I mean, they we've seen atrocities just here in the last couple of days. They bombed the Israelis bombed the most crowded refugee camp in Gaza twice on Tuesday and Wednesday. And the death toll there, according to authorities in Gaza, is reaching close to 200. And they this they leveled a na- entire neighborhood called Block Six, claiming that they were targeting a Hamas uh, I believe it was the anti-tank missile unit commander, although that's none of that is confirmed that they killed this guy as if that would ever justify murdering nearly 200 civilians or any civilians for that matter. But as Gideon Levy was talking about in Haaretz uh, last night, actually, people were digging their children out of the rubble with their bare hands after this bombing. I mean, the crater is just absolutely massive, but you've got IDF spokesmen on CNN saying, well, these people aren't even refugees and just walking all over their graves. Um, And so it's absolutely despicable. But I know that we saw you and I saw footage this morning of another school that was bombed 
and uh, it continuously just civilian infrastructure is being bombed. You're talking about mosques. We've seen a church bombed. We've seen UN shelters and schools and hospitals bombed. I know the the only cancer hospital is uh, out of service now. The Palest- the Turkish Palestinian Friendship Hospital is out of service now due to Israeli strikes. So um, this is absolutely, I mean, it me- it meets the definition of genocide. And whether or not people want to use that term is up to them. But uh, according to the UN definition, that's what we're looking at here. And so we're getting very close to 10,000 civilians dead. Uh, at this point here, um, probably before the end of the week at the rate that Israel is bombing. It's Anti-War Radio. I'm Scott Horton. I'm talking with Connor Freeman from Antiwar.com about the conflict such as it is uh, in Gaza. A war is when two armies are fighting, Bill Hicks said. And listen, I mentioned this not exactly as a disclaimer, but I guess in a sense just to make sure that people don't misunderstand Because in this day and age, people are so quick to assume the motives of people who they disagree with as being dishonest and secret code for some other kind of thing here. Uh, No one on this station, no real critic of Israel that anyone takes seriously is actually anti-Semitic at all. And the Zionist movement and Judaism are entirely separate and different things. There are many Jews who are not Zionists and there are many Zionists who are not Jews. And you know, what you will not hear is anyone actually say anything hateful about Israelis or Jews. But if anyone is on Twitter, then you're experienced with being told, Oh, you think this and you think that in place of things that you actually said. And in fact, what we're talking about here. It's just the reality of the power differential between the nation state of Israel backed and financed by the U.S. superpower versus essentially prisoners in a concentration camp. And what people a lot of times don't understand is that the Palestinians were already beaten way back almost 60 years ago now, licked, conquered, annexed, even though they don't call it that. And so they're under military occupation, even though they try not to call it that. But that's exactly what it is. They don't have their own country. They're locked in. This is a canned hunt, not a fight between sovereigns, never mind equal ones. And so that's what's so important for people to understand. And, you know, I want to play this clip, Connor, of Wolf Blitzer speaking with an Israeli general and spokesman uh, for the IDF on CNN yesterday. And people may or may not know that. Wolf Blitzer actually got his start in the media as a spokesman for the American Israel Public Affairs Committee. And there's famously or somewhat famously an old clip of someone asking him, yeah, but do the Palestinians have a right to exist? And he goes, the Israelis have a right to exist. And they go, yeah, but what about the Palestinians? And he goes, the Israelis have a right to exist. Well, here's Wolf Blitzer just absolutely astounded about this strike on the refugee camp as he's speaking to the Israeli Defense Forces spokesman here yesterday, Connor. But even if that uh, uh, Hamas commander was there amidst all those Palestinian refugees who are in that, in that Jabalia refugee camp, Israel still went ahead and, and dropped a bomb there attempting to kill this Hamas, uh, this Hamas, Hamas commander, knowing that a lot of innocent civilians, men, women and children, presumably would be killed. Is that what I'm hearing? That's not what you're hearing, Wolf. We, again, were focused on this 
commander, again, who you'll get more data who this man was, uh, killed many, many Israelis. Uh, we're doing everything we can. These are, it's a very complicated battle space. There could be infrastructure there. There could be tunnels there. Uh, we're still looking into it, and we'll give you more data as the hour moves ahead. But you know that there are a lot of refugees, a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children in that refugee camp as well, right? This is the tragedy of war, Wolf. I mean, we, as you know, we've been saying for days, move south. Civilians that are not involved with Hamas, please move south. Yeah, I'm just uh, trying to get a little we, bit more information. Uh, you knew there were civilians there. You knew there were refugees, all sorts of refugees. But you decided to still drop a bomb on that refugee camp attempting to kill the Hamas commander. By the way, was he killed? I can't confirm yet. I'll, there'll be more uh, updated. He, yes, we know that he was killed. So there you have it. Blitzer himself is like, yeah, but I think that may be the first time I've ever seen him do a triple or quadruple follow-up. Yeah. With a government spokesman justifying violence. Where it's like, huh? But wait, you're saying you're not really sure about tunnels or whether the guy was there, but you, you were sure that there are men, women, and children down there, though. And that, he's a very measured tone, but that is as exasperated as Wolf Blitzer can get, I'm pretty sure, you know? Yeah, and I don't think he was, I mean, if I had to guess, I don't think Wolf was having trouble hearing him over the connection. I think he was really left speechless and maybe somebody in his ear was telling him we should move on from this. Yeah, I mean, that clip went viral very quickly and it just shows you the callousness of the Israeli military and the regime carrying out this. Yeah. It, like you said, it's not re- it's not a war. I mean, the, the Palestinians have been, are outgunned by a thousand times, including Hamas. They have no army. They have no air force. They have no navy. They have no air defenses. This is not – these are not wars. These are canned hunts, and there have been at least three or four of them – uh, if you, in, in, and in, as well as the Great March of Return, which we, these were peaceful protests where people were going up to the border fence, protesting that, hey, we don't want to be in this concentration camp anymore. We want a right of return. We're still refugees. And we haven't gone anywhere. Well, the Israelis started sniping them. I mean, killed nearly 200 of them. And they were laughing about it, shooting journalists and, and, and amputees and, and, and medics and, and children. And you're talking about these wars so-called on Gaza, whether it's Operation Cast Lead, Operation Protective Edge. Thousands of people were killed in these. Uh, But by 2015, you had 100,000 people internally displaced just in the the wars, in quote, uh, quote unquote, from 2008 to 2009, 2012, and then 2014 with the 51-day war. And in each one of these, you're talking about – thousands, tens of thousands of homes and housing units and uh, just destroyed or so severely damaged that people are displaced. Well, at this point uh, in, in, in Gaza, more than half the population is displaced. And for that guy to, for that is IDF spokesman to go, well, we told them to move South uh, as if it's like tough luck suckers. Now you're, now your kids are dead. When they did try to flee South, their convoys were bombed by the Israelis. They're still bombing the South. Well, you know, so, the New York Times, Connor, has a story about how the White House is now preaching caution to the Israelis. And they paraphrase American officials in there saying that the Israelis were telling them, hey, come on, look what you did to Tokyo and Dresden. And for that matter, Hiroshima and Nagasaki during World War II. And I think this is part of what started bugging out the Biden administration who, you know, he is, of course, always been very pro-Israel. But anyone who's not part of the Israeli defense establishment right now, 
can look at that kind of comparison and analogy and and there's only one conclusion is that it's completely crazy. Only Lindsey Graham thinks that that is reasonable. All other people understand that the Third Reich was the most powerful military on the planet, the most powerful state on the planet. The Gaza Strip is much more like the Warsaw Ghetto, full of helpless refugees, desperate for their survival. To compare them somehow to the Imperial Japanese... Uh, not that it was okay for America to firebomb and nuke Japan after they were already beaten too and surrounded too. But now that's the baseline. If Truman can use nuclear weapons, then anyone can do anything, or at least the Israelis can do anything, even to prisoners in a camp. Not anything like a sovereign state at all. Yeah, and uh, Lindsey Graham said on Fox News that if Gaza does not look like Tokyo after the end of World War II or Berlin after the end of World War II, then they made him, then Israel made a mistake. It has to look like that. This is insane. And he says there's no limit on how many civilians can be killed. There's none. And I mean, it's just, I, I think it really needs to be emphasized that Mohammed Atta, who was the pilot hijacker on Flight 11 on 9-11 that flew into the North Tower, did it because Israel bombed a UN shelter in what's called the first Kana massacre in the war, in their war against Southern Lebanon, their occupation of Southern Lebanon, which again was unconditionally backed by the U S killing over a hundred women and children. Okay. So that's happening on a nearly daily basis. Now they're bombing UN yeah. shelters left and right. And every, we've already seen thousands of there's the civilian casualties, deaths of ch women and children, particularly children are piling up. We're very close to 4,000 here yeah. and our government is preparing to reward Tel Aviv with $14 billion on top of the four, well, the 3.8 billion that we give them every year to carry out atrocities against the Palestinians. And so this is what motivates hatred toward America. So Lindsey Graham is in effect saying he's also willing to sacrifice not just Palestinian women and children, which to him mean abs, their lives mean absolutely nothing, but uh, you know, even his own voters he's putting in the line of fire now uh, or, his, you know, the troops he claims to support so much who are under rocket and drone attack when they're illegally occupying Syria, a policy which he insisted on even when Trump tried to pull Donald Trump attempted to pull the troops out of Syria. But they insist on keeping the American troops in harm's way, illegally occupying a third of Syria. And and stealing their oil and stealing their wheat, keeping out of the hands of the of the the population of the country in this war torn country, which we already the, the American regime and the CIA and their allies, including Israel, already destroyed, taking the side of the guys who brought the towers down. Hmm. So this is this is a completely corrupt and illegitimate regime in Tel Aviv and in Washington, and the American people shouldn't absolutely not stand for this. Yeah, sorry, hang on just one second. Hey y'all, Scott Horton here for Tennessee Hot Sauce Company. Man, this stuff is so good. They get all different flavors. Garlic habanero, honey habanero, pineapple habanero, poblano jalapeno, and the blood orange ghost. They're all so good, I swear. And for a limited time, Tennessee Hot Sauce Company is featuring official Scott Horton Hotter Than the Sun thermonuclear hot sauce. It's full of Carolina Reapers, Scorpion Peppers, Dr. Pepper, hydrogen isotopes, and all kinds of things that'll burn your tongue clean off. Seriously, it's really good. Get yourself a hot sauce subscription. 
Spend $40 or more and use promo code SCOTT to get a free bottle of Hotter Than the Sun hot sauce. That's tnhotsauceco.com. Hey, y'all got to check out these awesome busts of our hero, the great Ron Paul. They're made by the renowned sculptor Rick Casali. They're 13 inches tall, hand-painted bronze resin based on Casali's brilliant original. Y'all may have seen mine in the background on my bookshelf in some recent interviews. The thing is unbelievable. Check out this incredible piece of art at rickcasali.com slash ronpaul, and you'll see what I mean. Use promo code Horton, and you'll save 25 bucks, and this show will get a little kickback, too. That's rickcasali.com slash ronpaul. Casali is C-A-S-A-L-I, rickcasali.com slash ronpaul. And there's free shipping, too. Well, it's Anti-War Radio. I'm Scott Horton. I'm talking with Connor Freeman, and, of course, we're discussing Israel's war on the Gaza Strip. So listen, we're about to get to the article that we wrote together here about Israel playing with fire. But my article before that at antiwar.com, just go to antiwar.com slash Scott. It'll forward you on there. It was called, it's all about provoking your reaction. And this is a very important principle for people to understand about terrorism. Is that what we're talking about is asymmetric war. A small group of mostly helpless bandits fighting against an all-powerful state. And just like with Al-Qaeda attacking the United States, they are trying to get George Bush to basically do their dirty work and drive our nation into the ground by overextending the empire, which is, of course, exactly what he and his successors have done. And then um, in the same manner, Hamas was trying to provoke a reaction here by slaughtering these innocent people and you know catching the IDF literally and figuratively with their pants down on a Saturday morning. And getting away with what they did, a horrible atrocity that they committed against civilians, was meant quite clearly to provoke the bombing campaign that we're witnessing now. And they're no fools. They knew that this was going to happen. They don't care. They're hiding under the tunnels down there. As, uh, you know, Israeli officials admit from time to time that the people they're bombing on the surface aren't Hamas. Hamas are hiding and safe and don't care about those poor people at all. But they're willing to get them killed, even at the risk of the loss of their own power, such as it is in the Gaza Strip, in order to force the issue, in order to force a major change in at least the discussion and possibly who's shooting who on the ground throughout the Middle East. And so by provoking Israel into launching this massive bombing and now ground campaign, they are raising the question of what is Nasrallah, the leader of Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, Iran's 51st state, sort of. What's he going to do? And for that matter, what about the Shiite militias that George W. Bush put in power in Iraq during Iraq War II? Now, the Palestinians are Sunnis, but still, they've cooperated with Iran all along. And because the Sunni kings are all loyal sock puppets of the empire, that's a big opening politically for the Shiites to side with the Palestinians and stick up for the Palestinians, which then, of course, puts all the Sunni satraps of the Gulf from Kuwait to Oman, all of them on the spot of what position are they going to take on this? We already see the Yemeni Houthis firing off a couple rockets, at least allegedly, I guess believably, um, trying to, you know, get a couple licks in of the war for their own part. And so I guess my question for you after that big soliloquy here is where stands 
the regional reaction now. I saw that Nasrallah is due to give a speech today. I know you don't know what he's going to say, but I wonder, you know, what kind of uh, temperature you're taking in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq, in Iran, in, for that matter, the Gulf states and all the different factions. And, and as you mentioned previously, too, in the West Bank and what's happening there and the various reverberations and repercussions from this original, ha, I shouldn't say original, this, if you want to, this massive retaliation against innocent civilians who did not deserve it on October the 7th by Hamas. Well, I think just as much as it's true that Hamas carried out their unprecedented attack, Israel and southern Israel attacking these military bases and briefly seizing these kibbutzim in in the south, as much as they were provoking the Israelis to carry out this attack in Gaza and mass murder and pile up bodies and force all these different parties to choose a side, firmly choose a side. Israel's doing that just as much now just by falling into their trap, but really doubling and tripling and quadrupling down as Lindsey Graham is demanding that they do. And so, you know, I mean, as far as Hezbollah goes, Nasrallah's speech is, like you said, is tomorrow. Blinken will be visiting Israel at the same time. Uh, Now, according to Mondo Weiss, Hezbollah says that they've carried out 105 attacks on Israel since the 7th, and they've claimed 120 Israeli military casualties killed and injured, and they've destroyed nine military vehicles. And in that same time, they're saying that 48 of their fighters uh, have been killed. So there may be a higher threshold than we suspect for clashes at the north before Israel launches a whole other front or before Hezbollah really invades Israel and things get that hot. But I think that that could always be triggered, of course, by the ground invasion being kicked off into Gaza because we know that the atrocities are just going to ramp up uh, exponentially as soon as that, as soon as Israel makes its invasion in earnest. Currently, it looks like they're implementing a plan uh, or possibly implementing a plan that was leaked and uh, that was included in an intelligence ministry, an Israeli intelligence ministry document that was leaked that discusses a plan to ethnically cleanse the 2.3 million Palestinians from Gaza so yeah. that the Israelis can take it and make it and, and make it basically a part of the sovereign state of Israel. And listen, that's real, everyone. And you can read about it at news.antiwar.com. And I'll clarify, because I think it is important that this document was released by something called the Ministry of Intelligence that basically is sort of an in-house think tank that writes up studies. It's not part of Mossad and it's not necessarily, you know, Netanyahu's war cabinet is issuing this edict that this is exactly where they're at. But it's still important and worrying it would be something like, you know, one of the CIA's sub think tanks coming up with a study like this in the middle of a war. Right. And it's headed by a member of Netanyahu's Likud party. And uh, you've got Likudnik members of the Knesset and then people in the right wing in the media in Israel calling for a Nakba 2.0 and something similar to this. And so they've told the, the the Palestinians to evacuate the north of Gaza, and they're pummeling it with airstrikes, as we discussed. As far as the uh, the regional uh, fight goes, I think that the Americans are making a huge mistake by continuing to say we have special operations forces on the ground doing God knows what, but it's been admitted by an assistant secretary of defense of special forces that they are, among other things— helping to locate hostages, including American hostages in Gaza. But the U.S. has also sent two aircraft carrier strike groups to the region, I believe at least 2,000 Marines, and augmented our fighter jet 
squadrons across the region. And there's a lot of targets that, as you say, uh, Iran and their, particularly Iran with their missile capabilities, can hit. Whether you're talking about the uh, CENTCOM, the the Fifth Fleet in Bahrain, or the Air, uh, Air Force uh, CENTCOM headquarters in Qatar, there's a lot of American casualties that could be t- uh, that we could take here uh, very soon if this uh, escalates. The Houthis. I mean, who have been subjected to the absolute worst violence of the empire in this century, uh, or arguably so, of the American empire. I, I have to say that even if, like you say, it's a to- it's it's not really having any kind of effect. There, you know, a missile here, a couple drones there that get intercepted by Israel's air defense system, their aero air defense system, or their fighter jets. It still says a hell of a lot. You know, because quite frankly, we're constantly told in the media that these Arabs, they they just they don't they'll die and they don't they worship death and all of this. But these for these people to stand up after what Yemen's been through being under siege for so many years and having all their civilian infrastructure obliterated and their children and infants poisoned to death by the hundreds of thousands. It's it's uh, you know, it shows you how much this means to people in the region. And of course, and you have American troops coming under attack. Uh, seemingly every day, uh, rocket and, and uh, drone attack in uh, in Iraq and Syria. I mean, for all we know, Nasrallah could be calling for some kind of mobilization of the axis of resistance, but Jordan has recalled its ambassador. I know that uh, we've had uh, Chile and Colombia and Bolivia have followed suit. Bolivia has cut all diplomatic ties with uh, Israel, and I think that that's you're going to see more of that in the Middle East itself. In fact, I saw on the newswire at Al Jazeera today that there was a uh, Israel was clarifying that Bahrain has not recalled its ambassador. And just the fact that that's happening is important. And I should stress that, uh, importantly, the Netanyahu doctrine was failing before October 7th. There was an important piece in Bloomberg earlier this year. Uh, uh, I wrote up about it at the Libertarian Institute. People can look it up. It's cited in our article that the massacres being carried out, particularly in the West Bank, by Israeli forces and the rhetoric, especially of people like Bezalel Smotrich, uh, who's the finance minister under Netanyahu's coalition, which is full of these Jewish supremacists and extremist settlers, and Itmar Ben-Gavir, for instance, the national security minister. The massacres carried out in Jenin in particular had cut popularity uh, in Bahrain and the UAE for Abraham, for the Abraham Accords and for this normalization of the uh, Israeli apartheid state by double digits. In fact, those numbers, I mean, they're not just coming from some polling agency. It was coming from WINEP, the Washington Institute for Near East Policy, which is essentially the Israel lobby's own foreign policy think tank in the U.S. And so they were concerned about this. So you're talking about, I believe it was roughly 20 percent of a, a decrease in popularity as a result of Netanyahu coming back to power and these attacks being carried out. And for instance, in Janine, it was in July, the Biden administration fully backed it. You had Israeli security forces invading and bombing a refugee camp in the West Bank, the Janine refugee camp, killing a dozen people, including five children. Their, the Israeli bulldozers tore up the electricity and the water networks, the camp's roads, and you had a thousand troops participating in this raid, along with Apache helicopters, 150 armored vehicles and drones. And so they thought Netanyahu and Smotrich were so arrogant. We know that, you know, a couple weeks ago, Netanyahu gave a speech a few weeks ago now to the U.N. General Assembly, where he held up a map of, quote, the new Middle East, where Palestine from the river to the sea was completely erased. So when we hear, of course, in this in the media now, oh, when you say from the river to the sea, Palestine, we free, that's a calling for a genocide of the Jews. No, that's not true. 
But Netanyahu's policy of normalizing with these Arab dictatorship satellites of the Americans and having them throw the Palestinians under the bus in exchange for American tax money and advanced uh, U.S. weapons systems and other favors, that was designed to erase Palestinians and keep them in this permanent uh, occupation or just opening up the opportunity for them to ethnically cleanse, uh, continue ethnically cleansing the Palestinians from the West Bank, for instance, by uh, the settlement, uh, the expansion of settlements, which Netanyahu's government was also setting records for, for settlement construction this year. And the Israelis have picked this fight this entire year. They've launched drone strikes in Iran. They've already carried out over 30 airstrikes in Syria which happened on a nearly weekly basis, and that was before October 7th. But since then, they've bombed, the, for instance, the Aleppo International Airport four times. And they've also bombed the Damascus International Airport since uh, this uh, this current phase of the war. Uh, well, this, uh, this uh, war on Gaza has begun. So and then you talk about Lebanon. Lebanon was bombed earlier this year. There was another bombing campaign in Gaza in May. And all of these factors, uh, David Barnea in September declaring, we're going to launch an assassination campaign in, the, in Iran, in the heart of Tehran. The, you know, this is the Americans and Biden's administration, according to Trita Parsi, has been far more, hawk, far more deferential to Israel when it comes to Iran. And they have been picking this fight. So uh, whatever happens next, it'll all be on Biden and Netanyahu. And the Palestinians have shown that this is just this policy of throwing the Palestinians under the bus and making these deals with the American stage managing all of it. That is completely out the window now. And I think it's going to be completely untenable in the future for Jordan and Egypt and Saudi and the UAE and Bahrain to maintain this status quo. And, and Netanyahu is digging his own grave, really. Politically, uh, his own people want him tr you know, put on uh, – trial. I, uh, he was already facing a corruption trial, but now he's going to be held accountable for ignoring the warnings he received, especially from the Egyptians, about this incoming attack on the 7th. Well, and we'll being see about that. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, the longer he keeps the war going, the more he can avoid that. But um, yeah. Well, that's he true. He sure league. has an interest in prolonging it, if only to stay in office, since there's so much talk about him possibly being held accountable, at least forced from office when it's over. But I'm sorry we're all out of time, but this has uh, been Connor Freeman here on Anti-War Radio, and he and I have a piece or two, well, one together here at antiwar.com. It's called Netanyahu's Support for Hamas Backfired, and it explains that Netanyahu doctrine and uh, the whole destructive nature of the Likud regime, how self-destructive it is for the people of that country. And then uh, before that, I got one. It's called, It's All About Provoking Your Reaction. So wise up. And those are at antiwar.com slash Scott. And you can find Connor in the news section at news.antiwar.com as well as uh, see him co-host Conflicts of Interest with the great Kyle Anzalone as well. All right, and that's it for the show today. Thanks very much for uh, coming on, Connor. Appreciate you. Thank you, Scott. And thanks you all for listening. I'm Scott Horton. I'm here every Thursday from 2.30 to 3 on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. See you next week.